All right, well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to the Psalms. We're in the third Psalm today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some for you there under the chairs. We'll be on page 448 in the black Bible that you see under the chairs. You can follow along with us there. Psalm number three, uh, page 448. The series in the Psalms we're calling Collide. Emotion meets truth in the Psalms. And so we're trying to learn together with the psalmist what it means for us to be honest and, and bring our stuff to God in the midst of whatever painful emotions we're living through in the moment, on the ground, how does that line up with the truth we know about a God who loves us, the truth we know about a God who is working all things according to the good of those who love Him, the truth about a God that's bringing us towards a future where there's no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, uh, but the reality that we live in the midst of those tears and pain now. So how do we work that out? How do we walk through that? And that's what we're going to see again and again in the Psalms. Uh, we have in the Psalms both a, a corporate hymn book, right? It is a, uh, a liturgical book. It, is, it, it was set up and designed for the Israelites worshiping at the temple, right? Huge bands, thousands of musicians, formal worship. It, it's also the book of the Bible that we go to again and again as our private prayer book, our, our intimate book of crying out to God. And so we see this this model of a, of a real spiritual life that can be lived out in formal settings as the people of God gather to sing and praise Him, look at His Word together, but also in, in private time of just, God, what is going on? Help me, God, save me in this situation. And so that's what we see in the Psalms. It's a great book, and it's, I think, going to help us to grow in our relationship with God as we uh, walk through this together over this year. In Psalm chapter 3, the idea is that we are colliding with betrayal. The topic today is betrayal. So Psalm 1, we had kind of this gatekeeper to the Psalms. In Psalm 1, it said, you know, don't walk this way of sin, but be the person that delights in God and His Word. Groan God's Word back to Him. Then in Psalm 2, we saw the picture of God's King. God is the ultimate King, and He sets up kings on earth to represent Him. And here we see that kingdom inverted in chapter 3. That kingdom of God working through His King in Israel and ultimately in Jesus. Here we see that inverted in Psalm 3 where now the rubber is going to meet the road in a sense. Right now we really see that, that tension, that conflict of betrayal. Psalm 3 is written in the context of King David running out of the city because he's being betrayed by a son who is trying to kill him and take over his kingdom. So many of you, well, I, I would actually argue all of you, know what it's like to be betrayed. We, we all, as human beings, have be, been betrayed at some level. And so I want you to know that my prayers are with you today because that's going to be a hard place to go to. It's going to be hard for you to remember maybe specific ways you've been betrayed. Um, we set up defenses. We try not to think about those things. We try to push them out of our mind. And so uh, I'm going to pray with you and for you. I have been this week that you'd be able to think about those things in context of what God has to say about us in betrayal. What, what does God have to say to us? What is the hope that we have in Him in overcoming whatever betrayal, whatever abuse that we've gone through? We're going to see that here in, in the psalm. Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3 starts off, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him and God. Selah. 
But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Selah is uh, not a word we use a lot in English, so I'll explain it for a little while here. Selah, most people believe in Hebrew, is a specific musical instruction because it appears in the Psalms that have the most musical instruction also associated with them. So we believe it's something like crescendo or stop and pause or sing louder or sing more intensely. And so it makes the most sense to think of it along the lines of amen, like let it be, may it be so, amen, God, hallelujah. And so that's our best understanding of what that means. Uh, We won't see it, we won't talk about it again today very much, but I just wanted to give you a little insight of that little word that you'll see in other Psalms as we go through this year. I'm going to pray and ask that God would Teach us today that he would help us to learn what he has to say to us here. God, we pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would uh, fill us with your spirit so that we might be able to see reality. Um, God, I pray especially for those who are just right in the middle of a betrayal. Maybe it is uh, too fresh to be able to really think clearly about it today. Um, Or God, for those that have uh, locked it away, it's something they don't really want to bring back up. God, we pray for your protection, for your help. We ask for your comfort this morning. And we ask that you would enable us to see that you're working against uh, these evil things that we've gone through in this world. And that you are the king that we can trust. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, many of you have been betrayed. We've all experienced betrayal at some level, and so we can relate to this. Uh, Even if you're not thinking of a specific betrayal where someone... Uh, betrayed you specifically, you can think about the psalm in the context of just human beings enduring evil and suffering in the world. It still applies to us even at that level. We're people that have a hope of this future, this heaven where everything's going to be the way it's supposed to be. There's not going to be any more sin, not going to be any more pain. But that's not the world we live in yet. We live in the world where we have the promise of that through the resurrection of Christ, through his is defeating death, but we don't live there. We don't live in the reality yet. And so I want you to think for just a minute. It may help you to close your eyes. Uh, if you're new here, you, you may be like, I'm not closing my eyes. I don't know these people. Um, but if, if you're willing, you might try just closing your eyes and just thinking about this for a minute, thinking back to a time that you've possibly been betrayed, thinking back about a time that a, maybe a friend has betrayed you, maybe a boss has betrayed you, treated you unfairly. Maybe a spouse has betrayed your trust. Maybe a child has betrayed your honor. Maybe a parent betrayed your childhood. As you think about these things, you can open your eyes now if you want to. As you think about this thing, I want you to remember that David has been through that same kind of experience. David, the king of Israel, was betrayed by his very own son. That's the backstory of what we're going to look at today in 2 Samuel. We're not going to turn there, but 2 Samuel tells you the story of how Absalom, the son of David, betrayed him and led a revolt against him. But I want you to, at a deeper level, recognize that the God of the universe has been betrayed. 
we've all betrayed him. And Jesus Christ was betrayed for us, for our salvation. He was betrayed. And so the picture of Jesus is foreshadowed beautifully in this picture of King David. Being kicked out of his city, being kicked out as king, we know that's what Jesus experienced as the true king, as the greater King David, as the son of David that fulfilled all the promises that David foreshadowed. Jesus was kicked out of his king. He was kicked off of his throne. He was killed outside the city for us. That's the promise that we hope in as Christians. Hebrews says it this way, that we have a high priest that's not unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. He, that means he's able to sympathize with us, right? He, he knows where we've been. And so I just want to encourage you with that starting off, that, that God has been there. Jesus has been there. He's walked through the pain that you've walked through. So the first thing that we want to look at here as we look at the psalm is just the reality of betrayal. Christianity has been co-opted in the last 50 to 100 years by the kind of the power of positive thinking movement that's morphed now in recent years into what we call the prosperity gospel. And it's uh, alluring to us as Christians because it's got like a 50% alignment with the things that we see in the scripture. There are a lot of things in scripture, you know, like think positively, speak good words, you know, be faithful, good things will happen. And so we get lured into thinking that these false teachers are teaching truth when in fact they're not teaching complete truth and so they're still false teachers. Positive thinking and prosperity gospel is not the same thing as the gospel of Jesus Christ that's revealed in the scriptures. What they do is they take favorite verses out and pull them out of context and give you the idea that if you do the right things, you'll have a betrayal-free, suffering-free life here on earth. When in fact, Jesus says, if you're really my disciple, you'll, you'll suffer with me. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And so the promise we have in the gospel is a, a future health, a future wealth, a future prosperity where all things are made right. And what we see in the Psalms is this wrestling of, God, how do we live that out here and now? Because I'm suffering now. I'm struggling now. And so what we need to recognize is the reality of betrayal. And we have to call it what it is. And it's important as Christians that we're honest about pain and sin that's happened to us. We need to just call it like it is. And we see that great example here in the psalm. The reality of betrayal is spelled out in what we call sometimes the superscription, that, that first part that's, that's almost like not a verse, right? It says, uh, it's probably listed in different ways in your Bibles, but it says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. And so, like in my Bible, I have this title given to the psalm. Psalm 3, save me, O God. It's like a title that the uh, people that publish the Bible give you, right? So sometimes you have like a paragraph heading, that's added in there for your benefit to kind of help you know where you're going in the Bible. That, that's not what that is. The, a Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom his son, is, that's a part of the original text. That, that was in there from the beginning. That was put there so we would know the story. We'd know what was going on. And so you can read this story. If you want to this week, I'd encourage you to go to 2 Samuel. It's like chapters 14 through 18. Really one of the largest chunks of the story of King David one of the largest groups of chapters we have is, is over this betrayal. The other largest section, we could say, was when he was betrayed by King Saul. So there's large amounts of the story of David given over to him being chased, people trying to kill him. And so what I want you to see is that 
not only is King David foreshadowing or, or picturing what Jesus is going to be like, he's going to suffer for us as our king, but that also shows us what our life is like. We suffer as we follow this king. It's not always perfect. It's not always rosy. We're going to be betrayed. We're going to be hurt. We're going to go through hard things. And that's the picture, the story we get in 2 Samuel. And that's the setting of the psalm. In Hebrew Bibles, this is actually verse 1. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. In the Hebrew Bible, they, they count that as a verse. In our English Bibles, we count it as verse 0 sometimes, it'll say. If you look it up on like an online Bible, it'll say verse 0. Um, so that's the setting. He's fleeing from his son. His, his son has betrayed him. His son was uh, this great-looking guy. It gives you these, uh, these details that he had no blemish. He had no spot. Like, he was perfect. He was ripped. He had this long hair. It, said, it even gives this weird detail about, like, he would cut his hair once a year, and it would weigh this many shekels. It was, like, so thick and awesome. You know, he's like this you know, male model or something at the time. And so what he did was he used his charm and he won people over to follow him. He would stand outside the gate and he would, he would talk to people and whisper in their ear, almost like a worm tongue type figure. He would just like whisper in people's ear and get them to follow him and win people over to his side politically. And he gathered enough people to where he started having his own armies that would follow him and he led a revolt against King David. So you have this picture of King David being chased out of his own city, out of his own kingdom, even though he knew that God had anointed him to lead. We have a picture here uh, from, the, from that time. I mean, it wasn't drawn in that time. It was drawn later. But this is a picture of, uh, this is supposed to be King David out front. He's got one of his advisors over on the side looking at the guy. If you see over in the far left, there's a guy with an arm back throwing a rock. So that's Shimei. If you, so if you go read the story, Shimei is this old dude that comes out and starts cursing David. He was an old ally of King Saul. And so he's like, see, this is what you get for defeating King Saul. Now you get, you're getting what's coming to you, right? And so he's all happy to see King David retreating from the city. King David's telling his buddy there, no, don't kill him. It's okay. God, God's got me. It's going to be all right. No, you don't have to go lop his head off. His advisor was like, just let me go chop his head off right now. He's like, no, no, no. It's, it's going to be okay. God's got me. And, and in that story, we see this, just this humility. We see David at, at rock bottom. This great king, this great warrior, you know, it says, uh, in the Old Testament said, Saul killed his thousands, David killed his ten thousands. He was this mighty warrior. He was a great king. He was a, he was a high point in the history of, of Israel. But now he's been betrayed by his own son, by the one who should have stood with him. And so here's what David says in response to that. David faces the reality in verse 1. David says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? We're going to get a poetic repetition here. He's going to say, many, 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 many. He's going to say, there are people against me. I've been betrayed and they're lining up armies against me. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. The principal way that the powers of darkness operate is through that kind of accusation. There's no salvation for you in that God. Whispering that in our ear. The, the word, the name Satan is a Hebrew word. Uh, the name devil is a Greek word. In, in both languages, it means accuser or one who hurls things. The idea is that they're throwing accusations. They're throwing these bombs of exactly the kind of thing they're saying in 
Verse 2, there's no salvation for him in God. Many are saying that the powers of darkness are constantly at work in us. I mean, I don't know a lot about, you know, creepy demons and weird stuff. I don't know how all that stuff works, but this is one thing I know. This is one way they work. We know that Satan and his forces of evil work against us by whispering those lies into our ear. By saying there's no salvation for you in God. And so we have to face that reality of being in that situation where we've been betrayed. Evil has happened. And we have a choice. Are we going to just believe that evil is all there is and there's no salvation possible? Or are we going to still hope in God? In this situation, uh, we see, I think, the reality of how it feels when you've been betrayed. When you have been betrayed, it feels like there's no hope, right? Have any of you ever been there? When someone you loved has turned against you, when they've betrayed you, you feel like it's over. I mean, if I can't trust them, I can't trust anybody. And that's where David is here. Many are my foes. Many, many, many. But the odds are stacked against me. And he's right on the edge of completely giving up hope. The words are being whispered into his ear. There's no salvation for him in God. Many are saying this of my soul. Many are saying this of my life. There's no salvation for him in God. I want to challenge you that in the midst of this reality, that the darkness can just start snowballing on you. And I want you to understand the reality of how that works, that that, that gets worse and worse if you're, you know, if you're trapped in the middle of depression or hurt or just grief. It can get darker and darker. It can snowball on you. It can feel overwhelming. And so I want to keep moving you. As we've, we've said this before, I said this in, in uh, the introduction, there are more laments than any other kind of psalm here in, in the book of Psalms. A lament is, is this kind of negative psalm, like everything's going wrong. God, where are you? What's happening? There's more of those kind of psalms than any other, but they all, except for one, all generally move towards the place of yet I will hope in God. Yet it's going to be okay. And so when we're in that reality of truthfully saying, this is terrible, bad things have happened, this is awful, I've been betrayed, I've been hurt, we want to recognize that our hearts naturally start snowballing. Many, many, many are those stacked against me. The odds are against me. I don't know if there's any hope. We have to recognize this movement that has to take place of, but I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to ask Him to help me. Even though I feel like it's impossible. God's bigger than whatever my impossible situation is. And so that's the next thing that we see is what do we do with faith and betrayal? How do we live out our faith and betrayal? And that's what I think we'll see here in these next few verses. So this next section I'm saying, this is faith in betrayal. Look at verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. And so we see this movement going from everything's against me to, but God, you're my shield. You're my protector. And so the first picture we get is, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. We see this image reflected in Ephesians 6, where it talks about putting on the armor of God, right? Our faith, the gospel, who we are, the righteousness we have in Christ. That's, that's the armor that we protect ourselves with is what God provides by himself as, as our stand-in righteousness. Well, here we see that reflected in the text in verse 3. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. I have a picture here of the kind of shield that would have used in those days. Um, there's two Hebrew words for shield. 
I understand those of you that are military probably know these kind of different shields, right? You learn this in school somewhere. There's like the small hand-to-hand combat shield, and then there was the big type shield that the phalanx would use, you know, where they would like cover their whole bodies. So what he's talking about here is the small hand-to-hand combat shield. This small shield would have been built out of wood and leather, and this would have been for close quarters fighting, right, with the short sword, with the club, when you're in tight with people, hand-to-hand combat. And what David is saying here is that, God, you're my shield in this hand-to-hand combat. When things are getting tight, when things are in close, when things are falling apart, you are my shield, you're my protector. So he's stating his faith. He's stating, he's not denying the reality of the battle, right? He's not saying everything's rosy, I'm sitting on the beach, everything's cool. No, he's saying I'm in battle, this is serious, but God, you're my shield. And I think that's the first step we see of what it looks like to have faith in the midst of difficulty. To have faith in the midst of difficulty, you're not denying, denying the difficulty, you're not denying the betrayal, but you're saying, but God, you're my faith. You're my protector. I'm going to hope in you. Lord, you're my shield. You're also my glory. What is glory? Glory is this word kabod in uh, Hebrew. It's this idea of weightiness. Uh, glory is literally, God, you're my heaviness. You're my weightiness. You're my greatness. I don't have a greatness in me. I'm just fluff. I'm nothing. But in you, I have a weight. I have something substantial, something reliable. You are my glory. You are my weight. You are my mass. And then he says, finally, you're the lifter of my head. Uh, We know in in battle, you know, being down is bad, being up is good. And he's saying, you're the one that lifts me up. You're the one that gets me up on my feet. You're the one that makes me tall. You're the one that makes me stand where I can see. You're the lifter of my head. You're the one that props me up. You're the one that strengthens me. And that's the picture of faith in the midst of betrayal. Again, he's not denying the betrayal, but he's saying my hope is in God. And that's the movement that we are taken through in the psalm. And then verse 4, he, he makes the statement, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I cried aloud to the Lord. This word cried aloud, I mean, it's a great translation. It's just literally out loud. It's kind of like public proclamation is how this word is often used. If you go to court, and you proclaim a grievance that has been uh, worked against you, or you, you state some kind of claim publicly, it's the same kind of concept of you are, you're loudly proclaiming for people to hear, this is reality. And so instead of just staying in that, that snowballing darkness of depression, I've been betrayed, I've been wronged, all the odds are stacked against me, you, you actually see in the Old Testament law, and, and I think this is in Deuteronomy 22, we're actually required to cry out. We're responsible to cry out when someone has wronged us. And so we see this idea that he cries out. He says, I've been wronged, and he cries out to God, the great king and the great judge. And it says, and he answered me from his holy hill. What is this holy hill? Jerusalem. Zion, right? This is the place where God says, I'm going to speak to humanity. I'm going to redeem the world, and I'm going to work through this funny little tribe called the Jews. I'm going to redeem a people for myself. We see that in the Exodus. I'm going to redeem a tribe for myself where all the nations are going to be blessed. We see that through the promises made to Abraham. I'm going to build a kingdom where eventually I'll rule and reign forever. We see that through the kingship of David that comes to its ultimate fruit in King Jesus. All of this centers through through Zion, through Jerusalem, through the hill where his temple was. And what I want you to understand, since we're not in that tribe, since 
most of us are not Jews. That, some of this language from the Old Testament seems foreign. I want you to understand this as God is saying, I'm going to work through a specific people in this world. And God comes to us through the Jews and through Israel. That's why we have a Bible that has two parts. We don't just throw away the Old Testament, but we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. We see the promises of salvation in the Old Testament, and he's working through the Jews. We see the fulfillment of that in Jesus. Jesus is the king that makes everything right. He is the one that fulfilled all the promises and the shadows of this Old Testament. And so both work together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, This is my gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures there. This is not something that just came out of nowhere, but it came according to all these promises and prophecies of the Old Testament. God is still fulfilling those promises. And David says, I trust you to speak out of your holy hill, out of your place of operation, through your people. You're working in the way that you promised to work. And we see again the fruition of that in Jesus. Then in verse 5, we see this great fruit of faith in the midst of betrayal. Look at verse 5. It really, it's so simple, we can almost overlook it, right? What does verse 5 say? I lay down and slept. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Every night when you go to bed, that is an act of faith. Next time you go to bed, I want you to think this to God. Think, God, I'm sleeping right now because I'm not God and I'm trusting you to keep the world spinning while I close my eyes. Sleep is a gift. It says in Psalm 127 that sleep is a gift he gives to those he loves. I know, I know for some of you, if you've been struggling with PTSD or other issues, depression, other problems, it, it may be even hard for you to sleep right now. I would recommend a, a great sermon by Tim Keller on uh, the wounded spirit, where he talks about the complexity of how all that works together. We're, we're spiritual beings, but we're also physical beings. And so here, I believe the psalmist is really talking about the spiritual dimension of this, that when we trust God, we can rest. But I know for some of you, you're, you're in the middle of what's become a chemical battle. Sometimes spiritual battles can, can turn themselves into chemical battles or vice versa, where you might need professional help. I'd encourage you to talk to someone if you just physically can't sleep, right? You need to sleep. Your body needs that. Talk to someone. Talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that if, if you need help with that. But at its, at its basic level here, we see that people sleep because they trust that God's in control, Right? If you're worried about being killed, if you're worried about being attacked, right? Soldiers, David's a soldier, but they sometimes have to stay up all night. And David's saying, I'm just going to go to sleep. I need a rest. I'm trusting you to take care of things. I'll get up and I'll fight again the next day. But I'm asleep right now. And I'm going to trust you to take care of the world. Now, I think this is a hard thing for us in our culture because culturally, we tend to sleep too much, probably. And, and so especially, I, I see this a lot, no offense, teenagers, I see this a lot of, with young people, Right? or young men in their 20s that sleep and play video games instead of working and being productive, right? That, that sometimes we, we go to one extreme or the other. We, we either sleep too much or we don't sleep. So both of them are issues of faith. If you, if you trust God, you're going to work. You're going to invest your talents. You're going to work hard. But also, if you trust God, you're only going to work six days. You're going to rest one and worship him. You're going to sleep at night. You're going to trust him to keep the world going. You're going to you're going to not think that he needs you to work all the time and that you can't stop. You've got to keep going because everything's going to fall apart. And I made this apology uh, earlier. I'll make it again. For those of you with, with babies and young children, I'm sorry. Okay. 
So. But in general, right, those of us now, I'm, I'm older, I don't have that excuse anymore. I need to sleep. I, I, need to, I need to sleep at night and go, God, I trust you to take care of it. I'll write down my list of things I need to do tomorrow. I'm going to ask you to help me with it, and then I'm going to go sleep. And I'm going to trust that it's going to be okay. I'm going to entrust this into your hands. I can't do everything. And that's really a, a fruit of faith. So I, I want to just break this down into applications. What does it look like to have faith in the midst of betrayal and, and sin and heartache? The first thing we see, we saw that earlier, was just admitting the truth of it, right? I've been betrayed. This is terrible. The second thing we see in this section of what does faith look like is, is actually proclaiming that God is my salvation. Even though the, are, the odds are stacked against me, God is going to be my salvation. So just statements of faith. I mean, we do that in church as we sing songs to God, as we read the scriptures together. That's, that is what we're doing. We're saying, God, my life is hard, but I, I trust you to be God and to save me. So making those proclamations of faith in God as our shield, as our glory, as the lifter of our head, that, that is what it looks like to have faith in the midst of betrayal and, and pain. We also see here the example of, of crying out. Cry out to God. Don't be, don't be embarrassed to admit it and say it out loud. And then we also see the reality of then being able to rest. You can find peace if you're trusting God to take care of you. Now, it doesn't mean you don't do anything, right? And we'll, we'll see that here in the next section. It doesn't mean you don't do anything. You, you still take action. But here we see peace. We see sleep. I want to give you a great verse that you could learn in Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Any of you ever know that, learn that verse? That was one of the first verses I ever memorized. It's Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Um, in the ESV, it says it this way. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The idea is that we don't remain in that snowball of anxiousness and pain and depression and fear because there are many, many, many against us telling us there's no salvation in our God. But we instead bring those issues to God. We talk to him about it. We we publicly proclaim it. We speak it out loud. God, I trust you. I'm trusting you to be God. I'm trusting you to save me. Help me, God. We say it back to him, and he gives us peace. He gives us peace. And that's pictured, as I said here, in sleep, in the ability to rest. Again, not staying down. He wakes back up, right? He gets up, and he keeps going. And that's what I want us to look at in this next section, the end of betrayal. The end of betrayal. This confidence that there will be a reckoning. We have a confidence that there will be a reckoning, that God is going to make all things right, that wickedness will be judged. Look at verse 6. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So we started with the many, 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 the negative. And then we moved through the positive, of, but I, I trust that God is big, that God will save me. He'll be my shield in the middle, middle of this battle. And then we come back to this word many here, and it's the uh, amplification of the word many. It's all, they're all kind of like the same Hebrew uh, word, um, but this version of it means something along the lines of a bajillion, right? So they just translate that as many thousands. I'll not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. I won't be afraid. I'm going to move forward. And he explains here he's calling on God to do something about it. I'm trusting God. He says... In verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth 
of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So these are his statements of confidence. He's saying, God, act. I trust you to do what I know you do. You defeat evil. You defeat the wicked. I trust you to do this. I trust you to stop evil. Rise up, God. Fight for me. Because because of that, I'm not going to be afraid. Because that's the kind of God you are, I'm not going to be afraid, and I'm going to just head right into this battle, whatever it may be. I have a picture here, because I think this, I, this picture of uh, striking the enemies and breaking the teeth of the wicked, that's hard for some of us as modern people. It's kind of funny. We're, we're in a weird context here, right? So as, as modern Americans, we don't like this kind of language. I think in a military town, probably a lot of you are like, hua, yeah, let's go. <laughs> but I wanted, to, I wanted to picture it in a different way. Here's a lion. There's the great teeth of a lion, and the, the picture is here disabling uh, the predator so that it can't keep uh, making us its prey, right? That, that's really the image. He's saying, break the teeth of the wicked so they can't keep tearing up the innocent. Break the arms of the wicked so they can't keep abusing the children and those who have done what's right. He's saying, stop it. Judge the evil. Judge the wicked. The picture we have in Revelation this great book, Revelation, written to those who are being persecuted and killed for their faith, and we have this vision of Jesus coming on this horse, the sword coming out of his mouth, dripping with blood as the one who will conquer, the one who will judge evil. And the psalmist here is saying, that's the kind of God I serve. I serve a God who will defeat evil once and for all. That's the end of betrayal. So for those of you that have been hurt, sometimes you're confused. We're Christians. We're supposed to forgive everyone. I would encourage you to move towards forgiveness. But, it, but in that paradox of what we know to be true of God, he's a forgiving God. He took judgment upon himself, but he's also a judging God. There is going to be a final reckoning. The way Peter described it is that God is patient. He's giving people opportunities to repent, to turn, to trust in his judgment that he took upon himself on Christ on the cross so that we can be forgiven. But that in the end, wickedness will be judged. The wicked will be judged standing on their own or the wicked will be judged by uh, the payment for sin being taken on Jesus on the cross. But then in the end, the scales of justice will be balanced. God doesn't just turn the other way from evil. If you've been hurt, God cares. God is one who will judge evil. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. The scripture in the New Testament repeatedly reminds us to trust in God for vengeance. It doesn't say, don't think about vengeance at all. It just says, don't, don't try to take it yourself. Say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Give it to God. Entrust that vengeance to God. And then recognize as you wrestle with what does forgiveness look like when you've been hurt, recognize that you and that me and that all of us have betrayed the king of the universe. And the story is that in his betrayal, in being kicked out of his kingdom, in being taken outside of the city, he took the punishment that we deserved on himself. He was humiliated for us. He was shamed for us. The ultimate end of our betrayal was our punishment rested on the cross with Christ. He freely gives us his righteousness. That's the hope that we have as believers in Christ. Not only that God will save us, but that God will make all things right. I want to point you to one little detail that if you read the story this week, you'll see this. 
if you go back and read the story in 2 Samuel, what you'll see is that David didn't just passively lay there and trust God to do it, right? He went to sleep, he slept in peace, and then he woke up and he took action. What's really interesting is we see in the story of David, we see uh, him being resolved that God was going to be his protector, but we also see him taking steps to fight. And we see this pictured in the New Testament where it says, because of the faith we have, because of the, the grace that we understand we're given through Christ in Ephesians 2, because of that we do these good works that he's prepared for us in advance to do. Right? Because it's all God, he's the one we're trusting to make things right. Because of that, we take action. We work. We, we see this also reflected in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. As we trust the master, as we wait for his return... If we really think he's trustworthy, we're going to go spend our talents. We're going to go headlong into battle. This world is crazy, and we're going to say, God's my shield, but because he's my shield, I can fight. Because he's my protector, I can go out and and do battle again. I can wake up the next day and engage this world that is difficult, that is crazy, that is messed up, that's full of betrayal and hurt and pain. I can engage it for the sake of Christ, to love others, to glorify him with the gifts he's given me. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for the promise we have of salvation in you. We thank you that you're our shield. We thank you that you're our glory. We thank you that you're the one that lifts our head as you save us through Christ. God, I pray that we would see the ultimate fulfillment of this, not just in King David being restored, but in the greater David and Jesus being restored to the throne, proving through his resurrection that he is king. God, help us to walk with him. Help us to trust him and submit to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. I'd I'd love to uh, meet you if I haven't met you yet. Come on up front. I'll be up here. Uh, Or if you have any questions, I'll be available as well. Thank you.